the competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussion with the best players on the planet. Your hosts, Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another wonderful Art of War podcast. I am your host, Mr. Brown Magic himself, Nick Nanavati. Some people even refer to me as the Tom Brady of 40K, as they say. I'm joined today by a different John, not the John Damaris that you've all come to know and love. But this one is a Marine machine, John Lennon, not the singer. He's here with me and Jack Harpster, one of the newest Art of War teammates. And he, we're here to discuss his amazing Black Templars list. For those of you who don't know, Jack and I have been playing 40K together for like 5,000 years. We, he has, he's been with me through the Brown Magic days, back in the basement before that. And a large part of my success is very much due to him. So when he's talking to you about these Black Templars, he knows his stuff. John's here to help us break down the super nitty gritty details of what Black Templars do and how they devout push right into you. And, uh... Yeah, that's pretty much it. How are you guys doing? I am absolutely great. Uh, always a pleasure to be on here. I'm really excited to talk to Jack, talk more about these Black Templars. I think they're a super underappreciated faction, and uh, Jack's actually been doing pretty well with them. So I'm really excited to talk to him, get his thoughts, and learn about how he made this chapter tick. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, it's, uh, it feels good to be on my first episode, um, and happy to be part of the Art of War team. I'm looking forward to discussing. Black Templars are a ton of fun. Had a ton of fun playing with them and uh, army building them. Awesome. Well, Black Templars are one of those space marine armies like no one ever uses or thinks about or talks about. I don't really know why. They're just like the forgotten chapter, I suppose. So why don't you start off by telling us kind of what your list is for Black Templars? All right. So starts off, um, take Chaplain Grimaldus. He's really good. Uh, he has an aura of six inches, uh, sixes to hit or an additional attack. A lot of Black Templar's units need a little extra oomph to get over the top. He gives that an Anora. Awesome. He has two chants uh, from the Black Templar tr uh, tree that we will go over later. But two chants, it's pretty rare without having to spend for Master Sanctity. And he's, uh, he's very cheap. He's only 95 points. Take a Primaris Chaplain on a bike. He makes the army go. We'll explain that later. Um, take a Primaris Chapter Master. So he gives that Chapter Master buff to a unit. Um, yeah. Three Crusader squads, because they are cheap, and they fill those slots. we got an Apothecary, regular Apothecary, not Primaris. He is upgraded Chief Apothecary, so he gets guys back. got two five-man Blade Guard squads, two Redemptor Dreadnoughts, a ten-man Van Vet squad with uh, ten Lightning Claws and ten Storm Shields, and a six-man Eradicator squad with heavy Melter Rifles, and two guys have Multi-Maltas. All right. Very interesting. That's like a very elite list. I know we're talking spacements here, so of course it's going to be elite. But you have like three HQs. They're pricey. You got um, a beefy Eradicator squad, Vanguard Vets, Blade Guard, uh, Redemptors. This is not a, a, a um, quantity type of army. There's not many dudes here. How does that play in Ninth Edition where I, you know we've all been saying stuff is king? Your army doesn't have that much stuff. It's got a lot of elite stuff. How do you even feel about that? Uh, it feels pretty good. It's hard for your opponent to really kill a lot of it because it's all very durable. Uh, a lot of the squads have access to transhuman, make getting through it kind of annoying. You have feel no pain, a six inch aura from the apothecary. You have a targeted five up feel no pain from Grimaldus. 
Um, so you can make select squads really annoying to deal with. You can get guys back, so chip damage isn't as big a deal. Um, it feels it feels pretty durable. It's hard for your opponent to get through it all. And even if they do, you've taken them enough of their time that you can win on points. Yeah, and not to mention, you know, you've got a chief apothecary in there. So with Marines, you kind of still ignore the chip damage. And that's always one of the problems with those big elite armies is someone coming out, not trying to do it all at once, but just chip a little bit off the block and the next turn do it again. Against Marines, that's just not as much fun as it usually is. Yeah, it is. And um, Devout Push in Black Templars, which we'll get back to later, is it definitely helps you keep units safe until they need to do their job. Um, Devout, right. Devout Push is what makes the army go. Uh, it, it, Why don't you break down just what Devout Push is and how it works? I, don't, I think it's a pretty obscure rule for that one. Yeah, so it's a stratagem that Black Templars get access to. It's probably one of the best stratagems in the game. I had to say, you at the start of a fight phase, your opponent's fight phase, your fight phase, any fight phase, you compile in a unit of your choice. Uh, you, they don't have to be in combat. They can be wherever they want. They just have to follow the normal rules of piling in. If they get into combat with your opponent, then you get to fight them. Uh, if they don't, then you just got a free move. So it's three inches normally, which is pretty strong. But I have the chaplain on a bike has um, the chant for plus three-inch consolidates and pylons uh, within six inches of him. And that means that any push that happens within six inches of him goes six inches, which is way harder for your opponent to deal with. So at the start of your opponent's fight phase, your fight phase, you just get to move a unit an extra six inches. So do you have a unit behind a wall and they want to be on an objective? Uh, well, throughout your opponent's shooting phase and through their charge phase, they are behind the wall. And then right before it comes time for you to score points, they get back on the objective. Um, if your opponent is trying to charge you, you can throw a devout push a unit of five blade guard in and just start fighting him when he wasn't anticipating it. Um, so there, there's a ton of applications here with your pylons. Basically, in your opponent's charge phase, let me get make sure I get this right. At the end, kind of like when you would normally do heroic interventions, you can pick any black templar unit in your army. Is it infantry or is it limited anyway? It's infantry and bikes. Infantry and bikes. So the blade guard, the vanguard, that stuff like that. Um, and then you pile it in six inches, presumably, because you have your, your chaplain canticle of hate up, those six inch piles of consolidates. And that's basically moving in your opponent's turn. So you can extend your threat ranges in the next turn, like your, your Vanguard just starts six inches closer to the enemy than when maybe he pre measured and made sure he was safe from everything. Or, like you said, getting close combat. That's super powerful. Yeah. So it just gives you a whole extra layer of movement that you can do that your opponent can't calculate for. So, you know, six inch extra range to all of your guns because you can just move the unit before it shoots, you know, move it and then move it in your movement phase and then shoot them. It's after your opponent's done their turn, you just get to change the board. Yeah. And that's just one command point, right? That's actually a pretty cheap stratagem for what it does. Oh, yeah. One command point. And you will use it five, six, seven times during a game. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Oh, because you can use it during your own charge phase. Oh, well. yes, you can. All right. So what are some cool applications you do with that? Uh, well, I have a six-man brick of eradicators, and eradicators' main problem is that they're very short range. But when they get to push six inches in your opponent's phase, and then move five inches in your phase, and then shoot twenty-four inches, their threat range is huge. Um, being able to stand a unit behind a wall six inches from an objective, walk out and take it in the in their fight phase with devout push, and then during your movement phase, after you already counted the objectives, they just walk back behind the wall. And you can do that every turn of the game. 
So you can take an objective with a squad and be completely safe doing so against a shooting army. And it's also kind of like having a six intro intervention, like some of the spatial stratagems, but it's actually almost better because it's not actually a heroic intervention. So I don't think your opponent actually gets to fight you. Is that correct? They, they don't. So you can have a screening unit out front and then have a unit of blade guard behind it just ready. And with plus one to wound, off chance, and, and all kinds of different uh, abilities. And then when your opponent charges your screen, you just devout push the unit of sort of, um, you know, blade guard into them and get to fight them for free. Yeah, and they can't even attack you unless they charged you or you're heroic, which devout push is just a pile and move. That's, yep. that's neither of the above. Yep. And if you, if you devout push, you get to consolidate six inches, which doesn't come up that often, but it comes up sometimes. You just move a unit 12 inches. You move mm -hmm. them six, fight something, kill it, island, consolidate six inches. Wow, now okay. I have an objective from you. So it sounds like devout push is like a pretty integral stratagem to how you play this army. I, I'm curious to see how it plays on the table. Like what strategies and tactics are you defensive with this? Are you aggressive with it? Black Templars are a combat army, um, kind of historically. So are you just trying to run to the other person's face with them? Uh, not really, kind of. So you do want to move out because um, you want to control the board. You're a beefy combat army. You want to control the board. You want to control objectives. It's ninth edition. You have to control objectives. But if you put everything out there, your opponent can still kill it. So what you usually want to do is you want to lead with your skirmishing units, which are your, your less valuable units, like your crusader squads. So there's basic marines. They're a bit better in combat, but they're basic marines. Um, maybe your dreadnoughts, stuff like that. And then you leave your eradicators and your blade guard behind that. And so when your opponent, your opponent is going to engage on your skirmish units or they're going to lose the game to points. So they'll do that. And that's when you get to hit them with blade guard, other things behind it, and then follow that up with another unit of blade guard the following turn. So you just kind of keep up a steady flow of pressure on objectives. So what exactly do you use as skirmish units in this army? Not too much cheap stuff as far as basic go. The three units of Crusaders are excellent skirmishing units. I kind of want to add more in, to be honest. They're 15-point Marines, so they're just tactical Marines at three points cheaper for no real reason, and they can all take chain swords, and the Sergeant can take two. So when you get to Assault Doctrine, they're all AP2. In combat, they're pretty, they're pretty good, mm -hmm. and they can take all the buffs of your army. So if you really want to, they can be pretty good in combat. Um, so your opponent has to respect them. And so, I could totally see myself taking four or five of them. Definitely. I mean, troops are just really good. OPSEC's a great rule, and they're 15.2 models. That's awesome. Um, so it's, it, let me try to articulate, I guess, how I think your army plays on the table. You hide behind terrain and kind of wait for your opponent to do something, kind of basically come into your theoretical threat range of six-inch piling at the end of their turn, plus your move, plus that's a charge. You have advancing charge. Like you can go very far with this army. So you kind of wait to set up the fights on your own terms. And you do that by sending out the Crusader squads to go play objectives early. They get people to interact with them by getting to come out so they maybe shoot them or charge them, whatever it is. And then you counter-strike super hard with your real units. Yeah, that's correct. Um, in my old list, we talked about the one that I took to the tournament. Uh, I had a six-man unit of Blade Guards combat squatting. And the three-man Blade Guard units were excellent skirmishers as well. Just hard enough to deal with that you need to put real units into them, but not quite worth it when you do. Yeah, I honestly have loved uh, having those little small, you know, three or four man blade guard units myself. Uh, they're just in a very good spot for how hard they are to kill and how worth it they are to kill. 
Yeah, every time your opponent commits to kill a three-man Blade Guard unit, they're, they're not happy about it. They'll mm-hmm. do it, but they're not happy about it. Yeah. Now, I'll admit I've, I'm lucky here, and I've got some spoilers, because I've already talked to Jack about this army before the podcast. Something you described to me was that, because uh, I play my own Marines, of course, I often play White's Curse. What you said to me was that my army's not as fast as yours, but one unit is faster than any of yours. Yeah. And that's kind of that combination of, uh, you know, like Nick mentioned, you have your six-inch pile in potentially, then your normal move, and then you could potentially advance and charge as well, right? Black Templars actually have a really good suite of stratagems to play with here. They do. They, they didn't get that many, but they got three or four excellent stratagems. Why don't you walk us through what those excellent strats are and just kind of how you use them? So I already talked about Devout Push, but can't say it enough. Excellent stratagem. Um, advance and charge for one CP on uh, any infantry or bike unit in the army. Excellent. Just makes one unit, it just increases the threat range of your army. So Devout Push increases the potential threat range of any unit. Your opponent has to respect that. And Advance and Charge increases the potential threat range of any of your units. And your opponent also has to respect that. Uh, and the last big one is 2 CP. Um, when your opponent tries to fall back with an infantry model or infantry unit on a 2-up, they don't get to leave. So hardcore shooting armies, you can just take a 2-up and just win the game off that. Like you just... You send one unit of blade guard super far into them. You just touch an infantry model. Uh, two up, they don't get to shoot. Yeah, and even if they get far away, you can give them those big pylons and consolidates. Could you just charge something and then devout push anyway just to get a little extra movement before yeah, you, you activate you the unit? you absolutely can. Because you, you get to pile in, and then when you choose the unit to activate again, you just pile in again. And then you can <laughs> consolidate on top of that. I can see that getting pretty annoying. That's yes. so much movement. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it's after your opponent gets a chance to interact with any of it. Mm-hmm. Because so at the beginning of the fight phase was after they've heroically intervened. Yeah, you get to look at the board as it is, and you get to just play a little mini game of what can I change here to make me win this engagement. Oh, super cool stuff there. Um, and then I know uh, Black Templars, they've always been a little unconventional as a chapter, and I think you mentioned it before. They also don't have psychers, and they have their own unique litanies, right? They do have their own unique litanies, uh, and they're not allowed psychers. Luckily for them, their litanies are pretty good. Mm-hmm. And the psychers, uh, you don't you don't really need them in Space Marines as much. If you have your own psychic tree, sure, you might, but uh, you definitely don't need them in Black Templars. And their litanies are fantastic. Yeah, what are some of like the highlights like that you use in this army? Uh, one of the best ones for sure is um, Litany of Divine Protection. That's just a five up field no pain on on any core character unit you want within six inches. So a uh, unit blade guard with a five up feel no pain and transhuman is a real pain to try and get rid of. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. Yeah, that's super powerful right yeah, there. That's really good. What are your chapter tactics on Black Templars? And have you considered doing any successors instead? So you can't actually do successors on Black Templars because they are themselves a successor chapter. I wish you could, though. I didn't know that. I figured they were a chapter like everybody else. No, no. They're a successor of Imperial Fists. Oh. But they're black. I, I hear you. Yeah, they, they traded in the yellow armor for black armor. They so. punch people. They do, but <laughs> Imperial Fists have fists on their armor. Okay. Learn something new every day, folks. Uh, but what are their chapter tactics? Are, they, are you happy with them? I have no idea. Honestly, when I started playing Black Templars, I thought their chapter tactic was just a non-factor. Like, I'm happy to get what they have, but the chapter tactic's not really a factor. And after playing a bunch with them, their chapter tactic's actually excellent. I don't know if I would trade it out. Uh, their chapter tactic is re-roll advanced rolls and charge rolls, just flat on any unit, and a five-up feel no pain against mortal wounds. And those all seem like edge cases. In 
till every single advance roll in your army can be re-rolled. So you roll a one, you just re-roll it. Roll a two, re-roll it. You're not, you're never going to spend CP on that. So, but you just get to re-roll it on every unit. So when you're moving out turn one and your entire army is advancing, everybody moves an extra inch or two on average. You never have to spend CP on re-rolling charges and you can do it multiple times a phase. And it's just very strong, makes you much more reliable. I also like that film opinion. You know, Nick was talking about how you are such an elite army. And, you know, one of the classic weaknesses of an elite army is mortal wounds don't care. Yeah. You know, smite is the same against the guardsman as it is against the Terminator. Yep. And I'm playing the Uno reverse card on that strategy, strategy <laughs> and just saying, no, it doesn't work on me. Because <laughs> on top of a five up feel no pain army wide um, against mortals, uh, you have three Cenobite servitors that are 18 points in an elite army, uh, has a six inch aura of four up feel no pain against mortal wounds. Oh, only taking one squad. 18 points for a unit is awesome. I, I also went down that rabbit hole of taking three of them, and then I realized they're unique. Oh, yes. That's a great reason to only take one of them. Yeah. Uh, they don't take up a slot if uh, if you take them with Grimaldus, and you want Grimaldus, and you want that free slot, because elites are amazing. So you take one unit of those, you put them behind a wall, and you put everyone within six inches of them to start, and suddenly mortal wounds do nothing. Like they just bounce off you, and then you res a guy, and nothing happened. Yeah, that's super powerful right there. Yeah. I mean, I, I can only imagine how frustrated like a Magnus would be into this kind of an army. Oh, yeah, and on top of that, one of the uh, the last good strat from Black Templars is a 24-inch range, 1 CP, 4-up stop of Psychic Power. That's also that's so good against the armies that try to do Psychic Ritual and things like that. It just stops them dead in their tracks. Yeah, you just you don't use it most of the time, but when you're blanketing the, the board and somebody needs to pass a work time, 50-50 shot, buddy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's really, you can't rely on blocking it, but your opponent can't rely on passing it, that's for sure. All right, so it sounds like the Black Temple Army is, I know you've put a lot of time into what's really well thought out. Take us on like the adventure you went on with uh, kind of deciding on your unit breakdowns here. Like Eradicators instead of Attack Bikes, that's always an interesting one. Um, you have Redemptors. I do. Like, like let's talk about this. Stuff. Why are there these units? In the so the Eradicators are in there because I was terrified of Death Guard. Death Guard like to move to the center of the board. They have an aura that you don't count as charging when you charge them. I just can't kill them. Like, I, I can't kill them in combat. So I need some shooting way to make them respect, you know, respect my army. And so Meltas are pretty decent into them, because one shot getting through can pick up a Terminator. So I originally had attack bikes in my list, and I just wasn't really feeling it, and I didn't really want to leave four or 500 points for three units. Um... So I, I decided, you know, I'll try a unit of Eradicators. Um, they have a lot more firepower in a smaller, in a cheaper package. And they would also be a while we stand, we fight target, which in this army is very strong. So I tried them on the table and it turns out with a five up feel no pain and reroll hits from uh, either Hellbrecht or Chapter Master, they, they hit very hard. They're very durable. It's very, it's difficult for your opponent to kill the whole unit. And then you just start resurrecting models with the Apothecary. And they shoot very hard. So for a 300 and change point package, they shoot all game if you're careful with them. And they they solve a threat a turn. They just look at a unit a turn and go by. Yeah, honestly, it really sounds like with Black Templars, and especially how you built your list, you have so many buffs that affect one unit. And that's just better to have a single package. I mean, often I would combat squad a six-man eradicator squad. Do you usually find that it stays as one six-man brick? I've always been happier when I leave it together. Because then your opponent can't just chip three of them away and then chip three of them away. Got it. Yeah, because you can give them all the five female pain, all the transhuman. I mean, yeah, obviously, you've got a chapter master there. You, you can do a lot with that. Yeah, they are. They, 
Also, the fact that they're always minus one with the heavy melter rifles mm-hmm. and the multi meltas means that I don't care if I'm shooting through forests. I don't care if uh, my opponent is death guard and they have the minus one to hit spell. I don't care about any of that. And that comes up a lot. Yeah. Just that's already priced in. Yeah. You just got your chapter master ready to go. And uh, you mentioned the heavy melter rifles. You know, for anyone at home, that's D6 plus two damage at 24 inches, right? Oh, yeah. And D6 plus four at 12. Okay, so if you're trying to kill something like a Death Guard Terminator and you roll a 2, that suddenly goes to 4 damage, and going back down to 3 damage doesn't feel so bad anymore. No, it does not. Uh, it means when wounds go through, Terminators die. When With regular Meltas, you can't get within 12 a lot of the time without dying. Mm-hmm. Um, 24 is a lot safer, and with a regular Melta, there's a 50-50 shot. You don't even kill the Terminator when it gets through. Yeah, yeah, especially these minus 1 damage uh, Terminators that yeah. have been popping up. I really like this uh, this a lot. It sounds really powerful into some of the Dark Angel and Death Guard things that have been really popping up in the meta recently. And your opponent can't let you just shoot them all game. Because you're, you're pulling the slot machine, right? Sometimes you only kill two. Sometimes you kill eight. And so your opponent can't just let that happen every turn or they're going to lose their whole unit. All right. So let's talk about some of these uh, other units. Obviously, the Eradicators work super well in your army. One of the biggest complaints I have about them is that they move five inches play around but in your army they really move 11 or even 17 depending on how you want to push around so that goes around their problem beautifully and as you said you can buff the crap out of them what about these redemptors what are they doing for you so the redemptors um they replaced the six-man blade guard and some change the redemptors first off uh, are an excellent skirmish unit because they hit hard they're not easy for for skirmishing our units to kill like squads of intercessors and stuff aren't going to kill a redemptor they add real shooting to the army, um, and they, they hit decently hard, and they're not that expensive. So I was looking for a way to add decent shooting into the army. And also, they kill uh, poxwalkers very fast with their guns. And poxwalkers are an issue for Black Templars. Yeah, we'll definitely cover the Death Guard matchup in depth in part two when we go through all the individual matchups. But it's interesting how much anti-Death Guard hate you put in there, feeling unresponsible. <laughs> Uh, I've played you enough times, Nick. <laughs> um, all right, so Redemptor, solid shooting platform, durable. Uh, do you ever use strats in them? Uh, you can't devout push them, so they seem a little anti-synergistic to me. What's like? Is it just because they're autonomous and don't need strats is why you like them? Uh, yeah, they don't need strats, but also each one, either one can be a lieutenant for one CP with Wisdom of the Ancients. So with a gigantic base and a six-inch aura of reroll ones to wound in combat, I feel comfortable not having a lieutenant because you really do need reroll ones to wound on eradicators. Otherwise, they kind of suck. Okay, yeah, I like that a lot. Honestly, um, I'm. I know that you've uh, you've been working on Black Templars for a while. Uh, this is obviously the latest version of your list, but uh, this isn't quite the list that you took to the Dallas Open. I know you uh, you ended up going five and one in that tournament, right? Uh, was it a top five placing for you? That's correct. Yes, number five, right behind Nick. Okay, Where's Clutch City GT. Just for clarification. Oh. That's right. The Dallas Open is uh, coming up later this month. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. Right. But uh, what kind of uh, so I know this is the latest version of the list. What kind of prompted the changes? Like, what what was the stuff that just got left out? I know you mentioned, um, you know, you don't have a lieutenant in this list, and you also mentioned Halbricht. What exactly was the transition? Like, what got you to this point in the list? So I cut Halbricht for a Primaris Chapter Master because I needed a guy to hold a uh, a relic, which is the Aurelian Shroud. It's at the start of a battle round, you pop it, 
And for the rest of the battle round, every core character unit within three inches has a four uh, invul. And if you're running the um, if you're running the dreadnoughts, they really want a four up invul when your opponent wheels out their heavy guns to try and kill them. It's pretty solid. Um, I love Helbrecht. He's really good at pushing your damage just a bit over the top because he has a plus strength aura and he's a chapter master. And he's just really well points for what he has. He has a he has a melt gun. He hits really hard in combat. Six plus D three attacks. Um, I'm a big fan of Helbrecht, but I need a guy to hold the relic, so I cut him. Uh, I also had a lieutenant, but I'm f- I had to spend two CP to include an aux just for the lieutenant, <laughs> which that would that did not feel great. So I cut him back, got two extra CP, and now I'm just going to use Wisdom of the Ancients to give myself a pseudo lieutenant every turn. Every yeah, turn I need. That's like a not every turn you need a lieutenant, but you still have bigger ones for function. The same two CP we're going to spend anyway. Yeah, it's neat. Um, I gotta ask you about this Primaris Captain. Like, I have not seen a Primaris Captain just like from the Games Workshop box set using the competitive list. And... What, why is this here? How is this not a Smash Captain? Uh, that's just a lot of points you don't need. Like your characters aren't going to be fighting that much, unfortunately. That's one reason why I cut Helbrick back is that even though he's a beast, he just doesn't end up fighting that much. Because your character goes in, you never want to have your character go in by himself. So it's always a character goes into something and a threatening unit goes into something. And you always want to activate your threatening unit first because otherwise they interrupt and kill it. But then they can interrupt and kill your character. And characters just don't have as many attacks. I mean, it's not bad. It's not bad to have a character who's threatening in combat. That's a good thing to have in your pocket. It just doesn't come up as often as I'd want it to. So basically you felt that the chapter master was was necessary. Fine choice for you, must. And the only way to get it is Hellbrecht, which closes the relic slot for you, or taking a cheap captain or something like that. Is that pretty much where we're at with it? That's pretty much where we're at. And I just spent the five-point upgrade to upgrade a regular captain to a primary's captain. You know, why, why do you need Chapter Master so badly? So that's the pricey upgrade. That's that you're basically taking a captain tax to get it. So first thing is Eradicators. Eradicators are heavy weapons. They hit on threes, so they hit on fours. And full rerolls is basically mandatory if you want to take them. Um, secondly, it's very good on a unit that wants to run far, far away and do its own thing. Like uh, Black Templars can send one unit really far, but if they go out there with no rerolls to hit, you know, no buffs, they're gonna they're gonna die. They're not gonna do as much damage. So you can send a unit away with full rerolls to hit and plus one to wound with a chant and things like that. So that even if it's far, far away from your army, from all your buffs, it still does all its damage. Um, and having a reroll ones to hit or army-wide for six inches is just, it's huge. Especially when the army kind of plays together. All right. Super awesome. Let's take a quick second and listen to a word from our sponsors. Enjoying the content? Check out our live streamed games, army reviews, and much more on the AOW40K YouTube channel. Okay, and we're back. So we got John, we got Jack, we're back in the Jank Tank with this Black Templar army, and we just kind of went through all of the units and how they piece together and why they're all here. Let's talk about how this army plays the mission and stuff like that. What secondaries are you looking to take? So while we stand, we fight is so good for Marines because you can combat squad any army in the list, pretty much any unit in the list, pretty much. So your three biggest units are just going to combat squad and just be really annoying to deal with. So while we stand, we fight, you're going to take that. Um, 
After that, domination is good if there's five objectives, sometimes even if there's six. Um, engage on all fronts isn't bad because you move pretty fast. Um, sometimes the mission one's a good one. Sometimes things that revolve around killing your opponent, um, grind them down is surprisingly good because even though you have uh, more units than you'd think like something that's trying to abuse, grind them down, you still are an elite army, so it's a decent secondary for you. Um, banners is pretty good because you control territory, and if your opponent goes to try and take an objective, you can push an objective secured unit onto it and prevent them from taking it from you, and you keep the banner up and you keep your points. Um, that's pretty solid too. Okay, what uh, what units actually form your while we stand we fights? What are your three most expensive? So this list isn't quite as good at while we stand we fights as my tournament list. I'll go into both. This one has the six man eradicators, incredibly hard for your opponent to deal with. Um, a ten man vanguard vet unit that's going to split into into two. So they need to kill both halves, and they all have storm shields, and they're all really fast. And you get to choose when they engage. That's pretty solid. That puts the ball in your hands. Uh, and the last one is one redemptor dread. So you just have to play more carefully with one than the other. It's not ideal, but you can make it work. In my old list, it was a six-man uh, blade guard unit that split into two and skirmished, and it was kind of hard for your opponent to pick up both because they'd be on opposite ends of the board. Um, that felt pretty good, but I feel okay with the dreadnought. So it's not so much like armies like Dark Angels or Death Guard where you're building secondaries into your army and taking them almost the same time no matter what. You're, you're taking a variety of units that can just do a lot of different things to be your secondaries that make sense in the matchup. That's right. And then I'm building around while we stand, we fight. Yeah, just to be yeah. able to do it if you yeah. want to. I really like that philosophy. I think that's how lists should be made nowadays instead of just trying to cram for three specific secondaries and just make those happen because it makes you very rigid in play style, but also if you don't give yourself options for secondaries. Um, so I do want to talk, though, about... Um, <laughs> All right. Well, let me uh, pick that train up for you, Nick. Um, let's let's dive into this a little bit more. Um, you've kind of built yourself around a couple of core concepts, such as devout push, and around you know like these some of these specific chants that you like so much. How have you made these more reliable? And do do you ever worry about being too reliant on these things? You know, I know uh, Agent Effect has changed. You know, uh, Genes of the Cult aren't very common right now. And I don't want to dive into any specific matchups, but do you ever worry about people being able to tell you no? So, like for example, like Necrons that have a uh, you know something to to shut down, like Devout Push, make you not use it one time. Do you think you're too reliant on this one concept, or do you think you're still flexible enough to get around that? I mean, so the army is still Marines. Like, it's still a strong army. It still has a bunch of things it can do. And if your opponent manages to shut down one of the five or six pushes you're going to do all game, I don't feel that bad about it. It's a one CP strat. So if, I mean, I do run into, you know, uh, plan generations in the making, they're out way more CP than I am. And it's it's never something where I'm going to, I need to do this or I lose the game. It's always, you need to plan around me doing this or you will lose the game. It's... It sounds like you have a ton of different options at any given time with your army, knowing when to push, with which units to push. Because you can make an entire play around like Vanguard Vets pushing six inches in your opponent's turn, then charging and advancing and getting an extra six inch on the consolidate with a very aggressive uh, bike chaplain. Or you could just do none of that and then push your Eradicator six inches to the left and just shoot with them. How do you play, determine which units you should send and do in which turns, and how do you commit your army? So you don't want to commit your entire army at once. So it's usually you pick one unit that's going to get the job done this turn. So if you need 
an objective taken from your opponent. You look at your combat units and you send one in to go deal with it. And then you try and make it annoying for your opponent to deal with, whether that's putting blockers in the way or that's putting a unit nearby so that even if they kill the unit that's on the objective, you can push on back onto it and take it back again. So you never lose the objective. But you generally pick one thing that needs to be dealt with and one of your units and you try and make it so it can deal with that problem. So you look how durable they are, how many buffs you need to give to the unit that's going in. And then you see how far away it is and you see how many... Um, how, how much movement you need to be able to give your unit. So, and you usually need to start planning that towards the end of your opponent's turn because push pushing on the end of your opponent's turn is when you need to make these decisions. What are you? What are some tells you kind of look for? Just to like if someone was an aspiring black tablet player because they're moved by your podcast here, uh, what advice could you give? Um, push even when you like don't need to. Like getting extra movement is going to pay off later. So if you're, if you're moving your army out across the board and you have 10 CP, just push a unit a little bit further because then they get to make better plays for objectives later. They're a little more where you want them to be. Um, and always make sure that when you have an objective and you want to keep it, you make a plan for even if your opponent kills the units that are on it. So always have a unit behind a wall six inches away if you can help it. Um, just always set up so that when your opponent does their thing, right, you know, they want to take your objective from you. So after they do that, how are they going to do that? Then make sure you have a way to retake the objective because the list also has, um, rights of war on the chaplain so that any unit in your army can be obsec. Yep. And you kind of already want to be within six inches of that guy because he gives the big pylons might as well also have make them obsec. That's right. Look for ways where you can sacrifice your units in order to get points. Because you don't get any more points for ending the, you know, other than while we stand, we fight. It doesn't matter if your Crusader squads live through the game. So if you can sacrifice them and get five points, do that. You know, get the get your points. Even if you get tabled by the end of the game, you can still win. Yeah, I think that's a mantra that most people who come to this podcast kind of have. It's a points game, not a game of anything else. So it doesn't matter if you get tabled per se. Very viable build strategy in the tradition, which is interesting. Um, I guess to that end. A large, large part of your army is uh, set around these huge brick-style units, these six-man eradicators, large blade guard redemptors that are, I don't want to say unwieldy, but definitely packages. You know, you don't just send six eradicators to solve a small problem. You send six eradicators to a big problem. Do you ever find that you can't solve small problems too well and you overcommit to solving them because there's no small units in your army, save for the three crusaders? Uh, the three crusaders are pretty good at dealing with small problems, but other than them, yeah, that is a bit of a problem with the army. If your opponent can swamp you with a bunch of small things to deal with a bunch of small problems, uh, then you might have to look at ways to solve two problems with one of your units, you know, the multi-charge and kill two or kill one and tie one up, something like that. You may have to start getting creative. So yeah, that is definitely a weakness of the army is when you have big units, then you you know, you can't solve, you can't be everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's almost like like giving a Death Star to many type thing. Not that your army is really a Death Star per se, where it's one unit that gets all the buffs, but it kind of is like in its own way, like we're going to put all our buffs on one or two squads, moving around a lot. Yeah, well, it does make you interacting with you harder because if your opponent, your opponent can't charge two things because all your units are real units, which means that they charge two things, you just interrupt on one of them and then that's, that's it. And all your units hit really hard. So if they do try to charge, they have to pick one thing to deal with it each turn. Because if they don't, you're going to interrupt and kill them, or you're going to push and kill them. They need to really be careful. 
All right, I like it. Um, other than that, you've kind of described uh, like a lot of the way you play this army as going for primary. Do you find that you're trying to win primary versus secondary, or are you just trying to be pretty good at both and kind of letting the chips fall? I mean, a lot of the things that I found with my Marines is I play my Marines to let them be Marines, where I embrace the fact that they're Space Marines and they're just generically good at both. And sometimes I can just rely on them to do their job where, you know what, if I need to kill something, at the end of the day, they're Space Marines. They're going to get it done. Yeah. And I kind of take that philosophy over to like my mission play as well. Do you find yourself with Black Templars favoring primary versus secondary, or you just kind of take it all as it comes? You definitely play primary better than you play secondary, for sure. Um, being able to move right before you, with OPSEC units right before you take objectives, gives you a huge leg up. Um, secondaries are decent. I mean, having good while we stand, we fights from Space Marines is solid. And then you can, you have good play over a lot of other secondaries as well. Domination is fantastic for you because you're looking to take the center of the board anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so any mission where that's decent, you're, you have two 15s almost, and that's going to be excellent on secondaries. Here's an interesting one for you. I know we haven't really talked about Black Templar's monofaction rule. I don't even know what it is. Is that something you value or use much? No, I don't value it at all. It's, it's, that is actually terrible. It is in combat, during assault doctrine, when you charge or heroic, sixes to hit are auto wounds. Not against vehicles, though, which is the only time it would have actually been good is against like knights and that sort of thing, where if you're wounding them on fours, each six being an auto wound is functionally like it being an extra hit. That would be pretty good, but it doesn't work against vehicles. And against everything else, you have, you know, reroll to wound, reroll ones to wound, you have plus one to wound, you have plus one strength off Helbrecht if you take him, to the point where it doesn't even really matter. Because a lot of the time you're wounding on twos rerolling, you're wounding on threes reroll ones doesn't really make a big difference. So if you if you have something you want to add to Black Templars, right, you maybe want to put on some Imperial Fists, go back to your roots. Successors. Six, exactly. Um, feel free to add that in. Losing the, the super trait, it does not matter. So, yeah, I guess that that's, I mean, Space Marines are often looked at as monofaction now because it's just easy enough to stick to getting bonus rules for sticking to one faction, and it's less complicated playing multiple codexes. But there's probably a lot out there as far as value goes for value as this Black Templar stuff. Because it sounds like your army is based around devout push and a few good units that, to use the strats and whatnot. I think it could be complemented really well by getting some real firepower in there instead of like hamstring firepower from the Zemters and uh, things like that. Have you considered allies at all, or is that you want to just stick to Mono Templars? I've absolutely considered allies. Um, Dark Elder are definitely a problem for the army. So I've thought about adding in allies that can complement that. Um, Black Templars are probably the best uh, Space Marine army to add allies into because they don't really care about their super doctrine. And I don't really care that much about uh, doctrines in general. Like I don't really care about dev doctrine. I don't care about tactical. Assault is nice, but I'm AP minus two on the lightning claws, maybe minus three on the swords. I could live without it. And if you get to add in like some admech shooting or you get to add in some, you know, sister shooting, I, I, you just, the sky's the limit. You can add in what you want. So, so you're even like, screw Marines, I'm just going to play whatever. Because Black Templars are really good at what they do, but they don't do it all. You think it's worth it. Like they're so good as just being Marines with AP and that kind of stuff that it might be worth it to just go into admech for shooting or sisters for mul- better multi-melters than eradicators. I don't know. I'm just talking. But, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's. 
it's definitely on the table. And other Marine armies, I don't think they can. White Scars definitely can't ally. Uh, Dark Angels, I'm pretty sure can't, although John would know. Yeah, they, they can, but they still they have so much good stuff that usually end up pure anyway. Yeah, and Black Templars are good at their thing, which is board control and combat. So they could act, they could use those allies, and they wouldn't hurt too much if you took them. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, it's just super interesting stuff here. Um, I think the one thing that I, maybe I haven't touched on as much as I'd like to is that, that one CP strat to keep people from falling back. I think that's really underrated. Like Falling back is an amazing can they're stopping people from falling back. Um, how, how often does that come up and how, how have you used that? It, it comes up fairly often. It is 2CP though, so it's not quite as free. Um, it, it's an excellent way to potentially win a game on the spot, and you don't have to go particularly all in to do it. And it's also good if your opponent has made their, you know, has done their movement phase and is going to fall back with a unit so that they get to shoot a problem away and they can't. They, they can't, they're not in a position where they can charge it. And then you look at the board and you go, nah, you know, I don't want you leaving. I would, you can't deal with this unit now. So I'm going to prevent you from falling back. And that's, that's come up a bunch where I'm just happened to be in combat with something and it would just be a big pain in my opponent's, you know, neck if that unit just wasn't able to be shot. And so you're just like, eh, no, you can't shoot him now. Yeah. Do you ever rely on it? Do you ever like make your plan against like a super gun line? I think you mentioned it just to lock yourself in combat or is that? Five or six chance is still risky. That's true. Uh, The game I lost, actually, at uh, Clutch City GT, um, I was trying to avoid the one in six chance to lose the game. So I made some plays. The game was going against me, so I said, screw it. And at this point, I have no no options. So I sent a couple units in to lock up on my opponent's infantry. And if if I had, you know, if it had gone off, I would have won. But he put me in a position where I had to go for it. And I rolled the one, which does happen. And the game went downhill from there. I don't like being in that position because the ones do happen and you have no control over that. So if you put yourself all out in the line and you roll a one, yikes. Um, yeah, I, I personally would hate to live and die by that, but you know, I'm also the crazy person who never, who never took master snares and their scars on me. It's also, you get put in a position a lot of the time where you can send one unit out. And if you get the two up, you win the game. And if they roll a one, it's not that bad for you. Like you just lose a unit and then you can try it again the next turn and you're still taking the objectives the whole time. But if you pass the two up, then your opponent's in a world of hurt and you're still just, if you fail it, you're just out one unit that already took the objective. Right. You're just setting up different win conditions for yourself, but not at the cost of giving yourself loss conditions. Yeah, that's ideal. Sometimes though, you know, you have no other option, but to just, just hope for the two up. As a Hail Mary, a two up is not the worst Hail Mary I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a weird way to talk about it for sure, but it does feel that way. Yeah. It's just one of those things like, oh no, if this doesn't work, I lose the game. And that's never a great place to find yourself. Yep. Especially since if it's your main plan and you do it six times in a tournament, you're going to lose one of those games. <laughs> awesome. Well, John, was there any other questions you wanted to ask Jack before we move on to part two and talk about all the individual matchups and Jack's fear of Death Guard? <laughs> you know, I didn't actually have any other questions. Um, although I guess I guess I'll ask one. Um, it was mostly about the relics on your chaplain. How often do you find yourself trying to auto pass the litany for one command point versus uh, just trying to roll for it? Is this another part of the? It's great if it works and not crippling if it doesn't. So on Grimaldus, that's definitely the case. Mm-hmm. Is if it works, awesome. If it doesn't work, yeah. Not that big. Like it's not great, but it's not that big of a deal. Um, the 
the chaplain with the actually good powers, the plus one to wound and the six inch aura of piling in, consolidating and charging plus two inches, which critically is pretty, is pretty big. Um, that guy has a relic, ancient breviary from Black Templars. Roll two dice, pick the highest for your, uh, for your powers. Excellent. So good. Um, it makes it just much more reliable. And I've failed them. It's not that big of a deal when you do. It's annoying. I'd much rather have them up. But when you fail them, it's livable. All right. Well, that's about all I had then. Yeah. So it sounds like, just to summarize, a large part of playing Black Templars is, you know, you have all this power. You have all these different plays you can do. Don't get too excited about them. And, and just play a slow, steady, consistent points game. and Make use of your rules as they come up, but don't try to force them when they're not there. Is that safer? Yeah. Every time I've gone big, like I've seen some intricate play where I can dive across the board, kill two things, tie up something, and this is going to go all downhill for my opponent. That's been the point where I've made a mistake, thrown a unit away, and made a game close when it didn't need to be. Yeah. That sounds right. Like a lot of super high level 40k can be just scaring people with your awesome tactics, but not pulling the punch. Because sometimes going hyper-aggressive means you you might have missed something in your calculations and then it's all over. Or, you know, there's a lot of failure points. I could fail this charge. I could go on so You don't want to have to do the Hail Marys before it's time. So I hear you. Yeah, I'd much rather win a game in the movement phase than having to roll dice. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, Jack, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Hope you all enjoyed this wonderful talk about the most strangest Imperial Fist successor I've ever heard of. Um, Check us out on our website or on our Patreon or on all those other places you find podcasts to access part two, where we will dive into all the individual matchups and how Jack plays the army tactically, deploys it, secondaries, all that jazz in specific games. So if you're interested in that, head on over and patrons and subscribers, we will see you there. Bye. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under, where we break down armies and new rules. TheArtOfWar40K.com This episode was brought to you by the Competitive 40K Network.